Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. So it took me an incredibly long time in my Christian walk to realize that being a Christian isn't about knowing things. It's about following Jesus. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe my, my predisposition and my personality and maybe my, uh, my church upbringing, I, I, I came to believe that being a Christian meant having the right answers. Being a Christian meant knowing things. And if you had all the systematic theology and all the apologetics and all the information and all the Bible verses studied, that would make you a good Christian. But being a good Christian, being a, being a Christian isn't really about knowing things. It's about following Jesus. It's about following Jesus. We all know people, and they have so much intellectual understanding of Christianity. And they are, now get ready for a technical term, they're jerks. Uh, right? And why is that? Why is that? Well, because Christianity is not just about head knowledge. It is about following Jesus. We understand that the Bible points us to Jesus and that we have to have a personal relationship with him. And it's not just about knowing things. Now, me personally, you know what? It would probably be easier if Christianity was just about knowing things, right? Because if you know things, then it's like, oh, I have a deficiency here. Well, I will just go and educate myself here and learn this. And, uh, oh, I, here's an area where I don't understand life. I will just go learn this over here. I'll go find the right answer. That's a lot easier, treating Christianity like a math equation, than following Jesus, because following Jesus means that sometimes Jesus is going to say, Nathan, the way you're living isn't right. The way you're treating that person isn't right. The way you're feeling about that person isn't right. Nathan, you've sinned against someone. You need to repent. Ah, following Jesus is hard. That's why I think there, there's a good chunk of Christians throughout the centuries who have always kind of said, well, it's just head knowledge. We just, if you just memorize it, you're good to go. No, no, you have to allow the word of God to change you. You have to be in relationship with Jesus so that God, the Holy Spirit, changes you and shapes you and convicts you and leads you and guides you. Oh, that's hard. Because when you're following Jesus, you will make mistakes, you will have sinned against other people, and you are going to have to repent. And repentance is hard, isn't it? It really is, because sometimes it's public. Uh, I, I will tell you, church, there will be a time where I will have to repent to you publicly from this platform. I've done it to my, in my previous churches. It's, it's the, just the reality of the Christian life. Repentance is hard, and we know it's hard, because if you look at celebrities or politicians, and they get trapped in scandal, right? And like, it gets to the point where there's no getting out of it. There's no denying it anymore. We have the videotape. Have you ever seen celebrities or politicians apologize? When they do, when they, I know rarely they do, but when they do, are they really good apologies? You're like, man, that's an apology I would accept for my child. Are they good apologies? No, they're the lamest things in the world. They're like, oh man, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. I'm sorry if you were offended, which is not an apology. It's a way of saying, like, I'm sorry that you have such thin skin. <laughs> it's too bad that you have such thin skin. I'm not, I'm not apologizing for anything. Yeah, yeah the, those, those apologies you see are, are just terrible. And even Christian celebrities. I mean, think about when's the last time you saw a celebrity pastor apologize or repent for something publicly that they said. 
I mean, think about it. I was like, man, I can't think of anything. I can, I, I, I can see Christians making excuses for each other. Uh, it, it's hard. And let's face it, the modern church in America, we're not perfect. We have a lot of repentance to do. We have a lot of things that we need to repent of. We really do. Now, I mean, I can list off a bunch of things, you know, sex abuse crisis, financial impropriety, uh, bullying, putting politics above our trusting God, right? We can go on and on and on about the sins of the church. And now generally, from what I can see so far, FBC, Terrytown, we're a pretty healthy church. Not perfect, but we're pretty healthy. But you know, the thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ, the positive thing is that you're part of the family of God, Right? That's a good thing. You're part of the family of God, big C, capital, universal church. We are a family. To the churches meeting down the street, to the churches meeting over here, we are around the world, we're a family. The problem with a family, though, is you always have that uncle or that cousin or that nephew or that niece, you know, the one that you're like, this is hard, right? <laughs> like you just had Thanksgiving meal and you're just trying to like, all right, all right, just, just keep going. We get grouped in with the rest of the family. When there's scandal happening out in the church, people aren't saying like, well, I bet you FBC Terrytown isn't like that. No, they're like, man, I bet you that pastor up there, he's probably just like all the other predator pastors that are out there taking money and using God's name in vain and doing evil in the name of God, right? We get grouped in with everyone else that's part of the family of God. Now, I said that repentance is part of the Christian life, repentance is part of the church life, and that unfortunately we get looped lumped in with the sins of churches that we had nothing to do with. This is going to be a hard sermon this morning. What will happen if we, FBC Terrytown, choose to repent on behalf of the church of its sin, the big universal church? What happens if we repent of sins on behalf of the church right here, this church? What if we do that? That's a crazy question, I know, because I know a number of years ago, I was involved in Christian Twitter, and if you've never been in Christian Twitter before, that is like the Wild West. It is like Mad Max Fury Road over there. It is, like, it is not filled with love and grace. I remember this question came up, and oh my goodness, no, you can't repent for sins you haven't committed. You can't repent for sins on people's behalf. And I'm sitting there going, like, yeah. And then I come across Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 comes across in all of our theology. I can't repent on behalf of somebody else's sins that I didn't commit. That's crazy talk. Daniel chapter 9 comes in and takes all of our theological papers that are neatly stacked in a pile and throws them up in the air as the wind carries them off and says, there's something else going on here. Read with me. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Asuras, so this is uh, now the Persian Empire, a descendant by descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes." Okay, so Daniel, this is the first year of King Darius, also uh, known as King Cyrus. This is the first year. This is kind of the, around the time of Daniel and the lion's den story. Uh, so he's looking at the Bible, and he looks at Jeremiah the prophet, and he realizes that the time of Jerusalem's exile in Babylon is coming to an end. So if you remember, 
uh, the Jewish people, because of their disobedience to God, because they were following false gods and idolatry and practicing injustice to each other, God finally, after warning them for centuries, said, that's enough. He allowed the Babylonians to come and take them captivity up into Babylon. And he, he said, God said through the prophet Jeremiah that this would last for 70 years. So Daniel is doing his devotional. He's reading through the prophet Jeremiah. He starts adding things up and he says, aha, we're almost at the end of 70 years. The 70-year exile that the Jewish people are going to face up in Babylon, that's coming to an end. That's coming to an end. This is a really good example. Now, typically what we'll say is that God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him through prayer. And I think that's, you know, it's an overgeneralization, but generally that's true. Now, look, I know sometimes God moves us through stories. Sometimes he moves us through books. Sometimes you're walking through nature, and you're just amazed at his grandeur uh, of nature, right? That, he does that, right? Sometimes he talks to us through our still small voice, but his definitive communication to us is when we read the word. And our definitive communication to him is when we pray to him. And so here, Daniel, he's just doing his devotional. He reads Jeremiah the prophet, and he sees, oh, we're almost, we're almost at the end. So I turned my face in verse 3 to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he starts praying. He starts praying, which is a good response to what he read in the word. Now you have to remember, Daniel at this point, he's probably in his late 80s, early 90s. He was, I don't know, let's say around 14 when he was taken into captivity into Babylon. It's now 70 years later. He's old. And yet he spends all day uh, fasting and praying. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophet, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who rule us by bringing upon us great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. So he says this prayer. I mean, think about it. 
Daniel. Is he a good guy, bad guy in the Bible? He's a good guy, right? Is he faithful or unfaithful to God in everything we've seen so far in this series through Daniel? Oh, super faithful, right? Like the picture of faithfulness. And here he is praying this prayer. He doesn't say them, and look what they did, and look what my fathers did, and look at where they are. He says we. He lumps himself into this. And what's interesting is he, he doesn't even call for like a day of, of prayer and, and fasting within the, the Jewish exiles in Babylon. What he does is he goes and he prays to God. He's just him and Dan, Daniel and God. It's just him and God. It's incredible. It really is. Daniel, who, not perfect, but man, what a faithful follower of God. And here he is, repenting for the sins of all of Israel. It's incredible. Now look, I think... Uh, I think our church, from what I know, you know, still have to get to know everything and everyone, but from what I've seen, I think we're a fairly healthy church and fairly scandal-free. And yet, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, we're bigger than just us. The church is not just FBC Terrytown. The church is the church. And we know if you look at news, you talk to friends, maybe some of you have left churches that have, have uh, had sin issues. What, I, we have issues. And so I want to ask you a question. I asked this online, and that was a fun uh, you know, post on Facebook if you want to go <laughs> enjoy the wild ride here. But, but I thought for this morning, let's, uh, I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. What are sins or misdeeds of the modern church? Notice church is big capital C there. Where does the church get it wrong? What are the sins and the problems in the big C capital church in America, right? the modern church right now? The idol of fame. Yes. False teaching. Uh-huh. Right? And, and it's interesting. False teaching, we can do the, the uh, prosperity gospel or like, hey, if you just follow these rules, God's going to give you a Ferrari, right? Or there's also, I've just heard recently, there is the depravity gospel that says, hey, we're all sinners, so, you know, let's give each other breaks when people sin grievously <laughs> instead of, you know, allowing people to suffer the consequences for their sins or, you know, take people out of leadership when they're eating the flock. Yeah. What else? The words we use? What do you mean by that? Mm. Okay, so we demean each other. Yes. We demean other people as a church. In the name of Jesus. Isn't that horrible? Yeah, good. Not good, but good answer. Bad thing to do. (laughs) Pastor said we should demean other people. (laughs) Yeah, not being transformed at all. Absolutely. We're just... Judging others. Yeah, judging others. Condemning others. Yeah. Yeah, we're, that's, that's our favorite pastime. I heard a um, minister of the gospel say, when we feel like we are accusing other people, like which is our 
favorite pastime, right, is accusing other people, right, and making accusations, that is a sure sign that that is the work of Satan because his name is the accuser. Man, I heard that. Oh, how, convic- how convicting is that? How convicting is that? You want to know when Satan's working in your life? When do you start accusing people? But they are wrong, right? Yeah, it's just <laughs> incredible. What else? What are the other sins, misdeeds of the modern church? They don't have to be this church, obviously. What was that? Lies? Yep. Yep. We've been talking about that a lot lately. Apparently, the new generation, we just, we lie and we lie and we lie and we deceive and we deceive and we deceive. Mm -hmm. What was it? Self-righteousness. Yeah. You know, it's incredible. The the self-righteousness thing. Um, I shouldn't do this because it'll spoil the ending, but once in a while, I'll have someone from the congregation be like, oh man, I really screwed up, and I, I ruined my Christian witness, right? Because I yelled at this person at, at work, and oh, I ruined my Christian witness. And I'll kind of laugh, and which puts them off because they're all really convicted. And I'm like, you didn't ruin your Christian witness, right? What you have to do is you have to go back and apologize and say what I did was wrong, right? Because the Christian witness is that we are sinners saved by grace, and we're going to mess up. And when we mess up, we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that. How many times have you been apologized to by another adult in your life? I can count on one hand the number of times an adult has actually apologized to me for wronging me. When you go and you apologize to someone because you've wronged them, they're going to be like, why are you apologizing? I mean, that is your Christian testimony right there. Our Christian testimony isn't like, look at how great I am and how righteous I am. Don't you want to be like me? Right? That's, that's not our Christian witness, but we think that it is self-righteousness. Oh, people are going to come because they look how, how amazing, look how purple that shirt, that, that shirt is on that guy. I want to be like him. No. No, people come when we raise up Christ and say, look, I'm messed up like everybody else, but Jesus, he's made me clean. The blood of Jesus has washed me clean. What else? What other sins of the church? Yeah, drifting away from what the Bible teaches. Yep. Yeah, we give, I mean, talk about the prophet Jeremiah. You honor me with, oh, that was Isaiah. We, you honor me with words, but your hearts are far away, right? We say, oh, we love the Bible. We love the Bible. We love the Bible. We don't even know what it says. I'm trying to get away from saying in my regular language, the Bible teaches, because, man, people use that when they just want to say whatever they want to say. You know, the Bible says, you know, the Bible says, well, show me. Show me where the Bible says. Tell me the Bible story or that teaches that, right? Don't just say the Bible says this is how you should vote. No, <laughs> like, I want a chapter and verse, man. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we proclaim holiness, but we look just like everyone else. We haven't been changed. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, concern for numbers in the door rather than changed hearts, right? Yep. Abuse, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, failure to follow the Bible. Yeah, good. Pushing, yes, pushing people away. That is the beautiful thing of the church, right? We are a... A, a congregation, and we don't all think the same, and we don't all look the same, and that's good. That's the body of Christ. People from every 
people, tribe, tongue, and nation are making up the kingdom of God that is coming in power and that is already here when God's people gather together, right? And then when we're all like, no, no, that's, you know, let's push that away. We got to be all the same and all think the same. That's not the kingdom of God. No, this is hard. Now, what would happen if our church, FBC Terrytown, which I don't want to burst your bubble, in the grand scheme of human history, right now, we're not making a huge difference, right? We're not like, everyone's like, ah, oh, flocking to our website. Everyone's not like bursting out the door like, oh, can you tell me how to live my life? I mean, we're just a, you know, we're a church on the corner that people like to take pictures of. But what would happen if we repent on behalf of the church's sins, even if they're sins that we haven't been involved with? Daniel continues, verse 15. He says, and now... O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy city, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore... O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Who knows what will happen if we repent on behalf of the sins of the church? Who knows? Church, you know something I found out? as I was uh, candidating for here and as I've gone out into the community and I just, you know, I kind of introduced myself. I think it's a good way to, you know, at least maybe open the door to share my faith is to say, oh, I'm the new pastor over at FBC Terrytown. That's the one with the big, big, uh, big tower there. And uh, do you know what the number one response is that I get from everybody? You guys know what it is. Oh, that's the church that burned. Right? Everyone, everyone knows, right? 1989, that church burned. Everybody's got a story too if they've been here for any amount of time. Oh, you know, I was over here when that burned. Oh, I was over here. Oh, I saw that on the news. Oh, you know, all of this. That was the church that burned. That's our, that's our reputation. But you know what? Our reputation needs to be transformed into. We are not the church that burned. We were not the church that was on fire. We are the church that has never stopped being on fire. Because in the Bible, fire usually means two things. One, it means God's judgment. Judgment. But you know what? I can tell you that the fire that burned this church down was not God's judgment because we are still here. So that means it's the other metaphor that God uses for the fire. Do you know what that other metaphor is? It is God's refinement. His refinement. And it's not comfortable, it's not pleasant, but it is always, always good. The reformers, back to the time of Martin Luther, said that the church always has to be reforming, always reforming. You can never get a break. You can never stop and say, okay, I think we've arrived at righteousness. I think we've arrived at the place Christ wants us to. No, always reforming, always burning, always on fire. That 
fire that burned in 89 has never stopped. We are always being refined, always being transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. What if our church that was burning and is burning and will, to the glory of God, always be burning, but that refining fire of Jesus Christ, what if we repent for sins publicly on behalf of the universal church? Daniel did so. He repented on behalf of God's people, Israel. And I don't, you know, Israel and the church are different, sort of, but the same. Paul talks about in Romans that the church, God's people, is like a, a branch ingrafted, right? So you have, you know, this big tree, God's people, right? And then this big branch, the church put on there, right? So we're part of God's people. What if we repent like Daniel did? What happened when Daniel repented? Ha ha, he has someone show up. It's pretty incredible what happens. Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins, and you get this idea that he has been praying all day long. While I was praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now that's important, that evening sacrifice, they could only do sacrifices in Jerusalem. And so for 70 years, they have not been able to properly worship God according to the old covenant. And yet they remember, this is the time we make sacrifices. He's been praying all day. He's been praying all day. Verse 22, Gabriel made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So we're about to see something here. You know the name Gabriel. How do you know the name Gabriel? He's an angel. Where, he's given a message. What's the most uh, biggest message you remember him giving? Jesus' birth. Ha-ha. You know what he's about to tell Daniel about? the coming Messiah. This is Gabriel's job, is sharing about Jesus. Verse 24, he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after about 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city of the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall be, make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. Okay, so we could spend the next five hours unpacking that. We can do that. We will not do that. <laughs> You're welcome. I know there's one or two of you who are like, could we, could we please? No. <laughs> In a nutshell, what Daniel sees here is, is a vision of the coming anointed one, the coming Messiah, and he sees both of his comings. 
He sees Jesus coming to take the sins of the whole world away and to bring everlasting righteousness. And he also sees when Jesus comes back a second time and he comes to bring the kingdom of God in power to this earth. He sees all this. He also sees the difficulty of this this antichrist figure, the desolator. Man, that sounds like an Arnold Schwarzenegger character, doesn't it? It's the desolator. Um, That was horrible, I'm sorry. (laughs) Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with one for many weeks and half a week, and he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So eventually he's destroyed, right? So he's telling Daniel, look, Messiah's going to come. If you, a lot of uh, commentators will say that uh, this is about, for, these weeks are actually years, and if you do the math, it's about 490 years until the Messiah comes from Daniel's time. So Jesus is going to come. He's going to bring righteousness forever through his death on the cross. His shed blood will make righteousness possible for all people who call in the name of Jesus. And then At some point at the end of days, things are going to look rough. They're going to look bad. But you know what? Don't worry. You continue to be faithful to the anointed one, to the Messiah, to this coming Jesus, because he'll be put to an end too. Daniel, when he, it's incredible. So Daniel gets told, yeah, we're going to restore Jerusalem. We heard your prayers. Jerusalem's going to get restored. But, but he gets something even better than this promise of restored Jerusalem. He gets a vision of the Messiah. He gets to see Jesus. When Daniel repented on behalf of Israel, he saw a vision of Jesus. If you and I, church, if we repent on behalf of the church, we will see a vision of Jesus. We will experience Jesus. Repentance is such a key part of the Christian life. And it's not just when you come to faith in Jesus. It is ongoing. It is a place with a humble heart saying, my righteousness comes from Christ. It doesn't come from myself. And yet it is a part, oh my goodness, I just, just this week I was watching YouTube, which I know, yeah, just... Yeah, too much. But I was watching YouTube and I was watching these interviews. I was watching these Christians interview these other Christians accused of doing this awful stuff. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm not going to apologize for that because that was when I was younger and I've grown from there, right? So I don't need to apologize because I've grown, right? And they were like, yeah, that's true. These are all Christ professing people saying, you don't need to repent. You don't need to repent. Yes, you do. Yes, you do in the epistles of John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to repent. Repentance is a regular part of the Christian life, and yet we don't see repentance in the church. We see us double down. Well, we're the city on a hill. Look how righteous we are. Yeah, how good is that doing? Numbers for churches are going down as we're here beating our chest saying how righteous we are. Aren't you attracted to how attractive we are? No, we're not. We're not that attractive. What brings people to church? Jesus brings people to church. If Jesus is lifted up, he will draw men and women to himself. If we proclaim him, not ourselves, if we proclaim his righteousness and not ours, then people will see, then people will hear, then people will be transformed. We must be a people of repentance. And so even though this text goes against my theology... (laughs) <laughs> really does. Daniel 
he says, uh, no, repentance is a weakness. This is how we move forward with God. And so I'm, our small church, our, our church that does not have amazing influence in the world, just like Daniel, just Daniel and God talking to him, our church that, uh, you know, we don't put on huge conferences. No one's pounding at our door to, to, uh, to do a TV show of us or, or to, uh, you know, have me come and be their guest speaker at their massive conference. That's not happening. It's never going to happen. Uh, it's okay. But what if, just like Daniel, this morning, what will happen if we choose to say a prayer and publicly repent for the sins of the modern church? If we do that together right now. We will see a vision of Jesus. We will experience Jesus. And I know that we know that we know that we're taking the Lord's Supper together. We will experience Jesus together. Uh, so can I have that, uh, Marcel? So I worked out a prayer. Thank you. I worked out a prayer this week from the many, 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 many responses I got on Facebook about asking what the sins and misdeeds of the modern church are. And I had Marcella taking some notes about from what we said here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite us to say a prayer of repentance together. And if you agree with that at the end of the prayer, say amen. And if you don't, don't. I, I, I get that. This, is, this, is a, this doesn't fit in anyone's theological book. Right? You don't see a systematic theology dealing with this. But yeah, we're going to follow what Daniel did, and we're going to repent on behalf of the church. So would you join with me in prayer? Father, Lord God Almighty, you are the glorious one who keeps all his promises. We, your church, have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to your word. Father, all righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the people of the church, the pastors and leaders and congregations. We confess and repent. We have honored you with words, but our hearts are far away. We say we love your word, but abuse and neglect it. We ignore the innocent and have embraced sexual brokenness. We confess and repent. We have embraced the yeast of Herod, mixing the politics of this world into the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We have confused the city of man with the kingdom of God. We are so fearful of the future, we try to impose our will on others rather than share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are a double-minded people, swinging from one extreme to the other, desiring entertainment over discipleship, too focused on judgment and condemnation or not mentioning sin at all. We confess and repent. We stereotype other churches and see them as competitors instead of co-laborers in the gospel because we are too often focused on ourselves rather than those around us. Filled with arrogance and pride instead of the Great Commission. We have been far too busy building our own empire rather than serving in the kingdom of God. We confess and repent. We applaud arrogant, proud, boastful, unloving, and unmerciful people while neglecting the poor, single people, the divorced, the abandoned, widows, foster children, and orphans. We have made comfort our God 
while tolerating spiritual abuse from our pastors because they know how to twist the gospel to numerically grow a congregation. We have accepted hypocrisy while our pastors sexually abuse the flock because we are more concerned about protecting our name and our reputation than your truth, your justice, and your care for the powerless. We have been overcome by evil and responded with fearful anger rather than the confidence and love that comes from you, we confess and repent. We are obsessed with the idol of fame. We have embraced false teachings. We demean others with our words. We are not transformed. Instead, we choose to judge others, accuse others, often using deceit to get ahead in life. We are self-righteous. Our Christian witness is tainted. We are drifting from the Bible's teachings. We tolerate abuse. We confess and repent. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt and who redeemed your people through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, may your anger and wrath turn away from your church. Our sin has made us an object of ridicule to all of those around us. Father, hear our prayer and petition. May your face shine upon the broken church. Listen and hear us, O God. We are not presenting our confession and prayers based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Our sins are scarlet. In the name of Jesus, make them clean as snow. Fill us with your spirit once again so we might return to our first love and do your will. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. Our God, for your own sake, do not delay because your church and your people bear your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask you. Amen. When we repent, we experience Jesus. We experience Jesus. The world out there, even many of our brothers and sisters, they see confession, they see repentance as weakness. No. Repentance isn't weakness. Repentance makes us strong in Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbctarrytown.org.